Today we're talking Innovation 101. Our guest is Jordan Sun, Chief Innovation Officer at San Jose, California. Jordan's got uh, his handful <laughs> with the innovations ecosystem, but today we're going to learn about uh, what he does there. And yeah, welcome to the podcast, Jordan. How are you doing? Thank you, Dan. It's it's a it's a pleasure to be on your podcast, and and thank you very much for for the invite. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's been a year since we met at the the plug and play uh, mixer, right, or something like that. Yes, it has been, and and the world has changed quite uh, <laughs> quite drastically, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know what a good starting point would be would be um, just learning about what is your role with the uh, so you're San Jose, and uh, what is it like being the chief innovation officer for them? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so, you know, as folks know, I'm the chief innovation officer here for the city of San Jose. Um, before joining the city, you know, I had a background in finance, um, uh, public service uh, as both a diplomat and as well as an army officer, um, as well as uh, time spent in both tech and healthcare. Um, you know, when I think of innovation here in the government, you know, I, I think in it, I've been very fortunate in in, uh, in joining this role during a time where folks acknowledge more or less that technology is the future and actually the future is now. Um, and so it's either, you know, you act now or, <clears throat> or you're left behind in terms of how you do things. And so, you know, whether you're talking about on the corporate side of running and scaling a business or delivering you know, uh, city services to your residents, um, technology plays an integral role. Uh, and I think more so true these days uh, in COVID. And so really, you know, um, being innovative or the word innovation is so synonymous in the last 10 years with going digital, right? And, and I, I think actually, you know, I think that time has more or less come to an end where you kind of have to be digital more or less as part of your integral offering as an organization. Uh, no matter if you're a B2B, B2G, or, G, uh, or, or B2C type of uh, 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 focus. Um, and so my, you know, my organization's three priorities right now that we have set in, for in terms of media is you know, all things digital inclusion. We have a hundred thousand uh, that are suffering from the digital divide that we need to bring them across that. Uh, we are looking uh, in terms of my second priority in terms of um, transforming our city into a data-driven city uh, and launching and piloting our data strategy for citywide. Uh, and on top of that, ensuring privacy and, and necessary uh, frameworks are built in place to uh, adapt ourselves to emerging technologies as well as address issues such as equity and inclusion. And the third is, is taking a look at, um, you know, how technology can benefit our residents, uh, specifically in economic recovery uh, to even public health uh, and, and launching pilots there um, to also taking a landscape of, of, of what is emerging technology out there and how the city can be ready. So we're actually taking a look at blockchain right now to see how we can become blockchain ready and whether that's a, a viable playing field that we should be in. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really interesting. I think when I think about the government, uh, just in the sense of uh, innovation, it seems like there's a lot of hoops that somebody would have to jump through or like, you know, like, allocate funding to this or how do you decide what's important like for you uh you know just curious about how you know you build a spirit of innovation within the government because i know there's has to be like a big separate divide between you know working with a startup that 
there's purely innovation versus a government or there's like a set structure, right? And rules that somebody has to, you know, fit, fit in between those lines. Just wondering about how you guys think about it and um, what, what fits the innovation mold for, for the city of San Jose. Yeah, I think when you talk about the spirit of innovation, right? Like I said, I have a luxury of, you know, technology has permeated enough. So folks more or less get the word innovation. They get the word, you hear the words human-centered design. You hear the words, you know, um, you know, technology or digital or data, things like that. The Actually, the interesting challenge I face is figuring out the prioritization, uh, especially in a resource-constrained environment with constrained budgets, with constrained people and, and lack of headcount. And so I actually challenge folks, the challenge I face with encouraging folks is to sometimes not pursue technology for the sake of technology. You know, many people in government are armed with just dangerous enough buzzwords that I mentioned, you know, and, and, or some basic principles. And so there's a lot of default to say, hey, let's build an app. Or, you know, I'm sure there's a technology vendor out there that can solve this problem. Um, the challenge is actually now checking these folks and saying, well, do you actually understand the problem first, right? So, you know, we talk about in the Bay Area here or in tech world in general, like first principles approach. And so just try to break down the situation or problem that you're facing until you can't deduce it any further, right? To truly understand what is there. Um, the, the second part then is then you take a look at your toolkit of options, right? And for companies, it's uh, build by partner. It's, it's pretty simple. You know, but uh, for government, uh, especially local government, really, it's 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 buy it, it's borrow it, uh, which is basically trying to negotiate a free pilot, and then for a potential opportunity to do business later. Yeah. <laughs> or, or it's beg for it and asking for free stuff, and we have to do that sometimes. And this is, you know, uh, this was actually a very interesting thing that I never thought I would be doing, which is, you know, more or less begging for free work. <laughs> uh, I guess, Jordan, uh, a super question for the listeners. This is Earl here. Um, what is your role in the innovation ecosystem, right? Like, are you the folks that will kind of take a chance or take a chance more on like risky types of projects and pilot it? Are you the person that like helps scale? Um, where are you in this spectrum, uh, right? Uh, because I'm sure our listeners are super curious and, you know, uh, they maybe understand, you know, going B2C, right? Like direct to market. Some people know B2B, right? But B2G, it's kind of uh, not sure, right? So where, where are you here and, and what do you tell your partners or why they par- where you should go to you versus skipping you? Yeah, that's that's a great way. And thanks for Earl for using the word tipping me. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 interesting. So my role is more so on the earlier stage of things. You know, as that initial entry point. Um, and so, uh, and part of that is by design because we are in a weak form of mayor system, uh, one of the few remaining uh, cities in America that have that. So a lot of our job is actually more so focused on influencing. Um, and through policy, and the mayor has the power over budget. Um, and, but at the same time, we are the representative of the city, and we are the touch point for our residents. So when you talk about you know, um, being an industry point versus scaling, we have an entire team that was built out uh, by my predecessor when, you know, in terms of civic innovation that does scaling. Um, and they're fantastic. They're, they sit in the city manager's office. They're basically the administrative function, you know, the operators, if you will, of the city. On my end of things, though, you know, we really look at 
you know, what are, what are some things right around the corner that we need to focus on? And what are some things that are priority to the mayor, which are ultimately priority to the residents that we need to focus on? And that's not to say the city manager's office doesn't focus on things that are priority to residents. Um, but there is a clear delineation in terms of uh, uh, bandwidth, you know, capability and skill sets, as well as, um, you know, uh, powers of authority, such as procurement and not having procurement. So we don't have that procurement ability, but, um, you know, we make recommendations towards that. And so when folks want to work with us, uh, and I delineate between startups or larger tech companies, and so let's just talk about startups, you know, it's either through forms of pilots, um, you know, your, your typical way, it's you can mm. go through the procurement path and we can try to figure out how to navigate you in a legal fashion. Um, uh, the other, the third way is philanthropy, right? And as I mentioned, I do a lot of begging. Um, and the fourth <laughs> is really partnerships uh, that gets a little bit more creative. So we found out that we actually serve as a fantastic channel for startups. Um, so when you think about financial inclusion opportunities uh, yeah. in the fintech space, when you think about um, you know, certain, uh, uh, you know, mental health opportunities, or when you think about other digital inclusion offerings, um, you know, we have, uh, or even in the cyberspace for small, medium-sized businesses, we serve as a fantastic channel there. And so, um, we have our own vetting process that we put startups through. So we have a project canvas, which is eerily similar to the business model canvas that I, mm -hmm. that I created. Um, but it focuses on really understanding the problem statement, the resident TAM test, um, the solutions statement, the mayor's interest, you know, any potential city partners. Um, and then on the, you know, that's in terms of the desirability, the feasibility side is on, you know, who are our partners, any critical getting steps and, you know, solution readiness. And then there's a viability function in there. Um, and then we go through a competitive analysis and landscaping before we make a recommendation to the mayor or internally say, this is the right partner we'd like to work with. Um, but I would also throw out there that we're very interested in hearing from startups and investors and what they think, and we're actually launching this initiative too, on what they think um, cities can do better uh, for them to make it easier for, for folks to work with cities such as us. That's, that's really <clears throat> awesome. And uh, yeah, I think just uh, going back into that idea of innovation, you know, when I think of innovation or, you know, how I would see it is, is as um, just new things that infiltrate our lives that we, you know, fall in love with or really need or get attached to that benefit, have some benefit to us. But um, just curious, uh, I just want to ask, like, in the city of San Jose, how do you, um, what are some recent innovations that have been done? Could it, it could maybe, I don't know, involve drones or anything really? Like, what, what do you um, say has been something that you, you'd reference as maybe a project that's, you know, gone and benefited a lot of people through innovation or, or uh, something like that? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think you, uh, you touched on a great point. So uh, kind of working, so I would say kind of high level what innovation means to me. You know, I, I like the idea of, of how Google defines their eight pillars of innovation. If folks who don't know it, you could just Google that. That's <laughs> it's pretty easy to find. Um, you know, I, I would say on top of that, though, in terms of things that we're really proud of, right? So our digital inclusion efforts have been really phenomenal. Uh, this is a fantastic partnership uh, with our city manager's office. Um, uh, so, and this is really a collective city effort, right? Of coming together with industry partners, uh, with our telcos specifically. Um, and so we've done three things. 
Um, the first the city has done is, is um, you know, we are we launched uh, our AT&T partnership with mobile Wi-Fi hotspots for about a total of 15,800 hotspots being deployed into our communities. Majority of them have gone to students. 3,000 of them are going to other residents uh, through the form of checkouts with a library. Right. We have um, uh, launched uh, community Wi-Fi projects that by the end of 2022 would connect over 300,000 residents to the internet um, at home. Um, and so that was a huge endeavor. Uh, and then the third is our flagship uh, public-private partnership digital inclusion fund. And so this is a you know really a first of its kind uh, public-private partnership where uh, it's novel in the sense that we raised essentially a $24 million fund of which 14 million of it comes from telcos. And so telcos essentially receive economic gains by us accelerating their small cell, uh, their 5G network implementation process and deployment process. And because of that permitting process being accelerated, creating those economic gains that flows into directly to our community to solve for issues related to, you know, digital redlining and, uh, and ensuring that folks have connectivity device and literacy training. So Jordan, it seems that uh, at least in, in my experience, you're the first chief innovation officer of a city that I've met in my life. And I guess two things in my mind is, is this now a standard in cities? And if not, should this be a standard in cities? Just because I think having someone like you in some of the most you know, important cities, or maybe all cities in America and the world, is important because you are kind of not just looking at hypothetical pain points, but you actually also feel what the residents feel. So it makes sense to have innovation officers at every major city. But are you the the rare chief innovation officer, or this is something that's normal? And if so, um, you know, what's your recommendation to other cities of building out this capability? Yeah, I would say. Um from the May, so taking a step back years ago, my predecessor, Shereen Santisham, and, uh, and Mayor Sam Licardo, uh, mm-hmm. you know, our mayor has been a, a, a big proponent of technology, um, especially being, you know, the, the mayor of the largest city here in Silicon Valley. And so he had this broader vision of digital inclusion and even bank, going back in 2017, talking about the digital divide and highlighting the homework gap that existed about students in our community going to Burger King to do homework to access, uh, you know, uh, publicly available Wi-Fi. Mm, Um, So we were definitely early movers on this. I would say uh, looking at it now, you know, there are plenty of cities with chief uh, innovation officers, uh, digital officers, technology officers, whatever you want to call it, right? And every flavor is a little bit different. Um, I would say right now that, you know, as I mentioned before, right, we're going to reach a tipping point sometime, some point where, you know, people are going to come off the highs of what does innovation mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it shouldn't exist, right? People should always be for thinking if they have the luxury to be. I would, I would say, though, that at the very basic, what cities need to do, uh, and even towns and, and you know, and, and smaller, um, you know, organizations, what they need to do is at least have someone that understands technology beyond just an infrastructure IT perspective. Um, I think that's really important because now you need to do really three things. One, you need to have a team. Uh, or someone that has the ability or you can partner with that has the ability to do some basic level digital services. And I'm just talking about web app development, you know, or, 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 or a website design. You know, I'm not talking about anything fancy in terms of well, 
selling a native experience on a mobile app. Um, the, the second you need is at least some, some level of analyst capabilities. I'm not talking about even analytics or, um, or hardcore data science, um, but you need to start thinking about your data. And the third is some level of privacy. Uh, and, 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 and someone to be responsible for that privacy because ultimately that will be so important going forward in terms of all the technologies that are being interjected, injected into our communities uh, and being adopted, especially with cities migrating their cloud and who's being responsible for that. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. <clears throat> um, you know, Jordan, I think what would be cool to talk about is I know uh, you previously worked at Health, or Siemens, right? Simon? Siemens? How do you say that? Siemens. <laughs> um, uh, and then, you know, you also have been a mentor at like first round capital or like plug and play. Um, but I, I, I also read that you, uh, were in the army or you did some stints in the army. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm still in. Oh, you're still in the army. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah. Maybe if you could tell us about your work with the arm or like, yeah, with the army and how I read you were a tech scout for them and you know, just what is that like? And. I mean, would love to hear something cool from there. Or was, how's that? Yeah, so, um, you know, on, on the Army side, so I, I started out as an infantry officer. Um, I, and so maybe why don't I, I, I take a step back? So, like, maybe um, rather, you know, I, I think folks kind of look at my background. They're like, well, why did you choose to join the city government at the time now, right? Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I will caveat, look, you know, I never in my wildest dreams considered or planned to join city government. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned before, you know, we met while I was at Siemens um, as director of venture development. I was also working uh, on a spin-out uh, digital health venture um, and leading that inside of Siemens. So you know, and that work continued. Uh, I was also, you know, uh, asked to deploy to Afghanistan uh, with special operations, supporting special operations um, in a technology role uh, as chief operating officer for the tech team that was stood up um, primarily, you know, to, to um, work on uh, products related to combating ISIS and, and, and Taliban uh, attacks. Um, but, I've always generally believed in the sense of giving back to this country uh, as a first, uh, um, as, as a, you know, as, as, um, as a first gen American uh, in terms of what this con country has given my family so much for. And specifically, you know, some folks can relate to that, like the safety and security uh, for more and political persecution. And so what I was drawn to public service, you know, um, because my grandfather served in World War II against imperialism. Uh, my father served in the U.S. Army, actually, when he immigrated uh, and was an infantry officer, uh, and he immigrated from Taiwan. And so, uh, you know, my initial thoughts of public service, well, the military was just a nice natural step. Um, eventually, you know, I, I found I, I grew a bit more of a conscience serving in time in finance and then realizing that I can do much more th interesting things. And, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to serve as both a diplomat. Uh, as well as an army officer, obviously, in, in Taiwan, Japan, and twice in Afghanistan. But what really led me here was, you know, the, I've always had this nagging in my heart of coming home and sure. taking the experience and knowledge that I had uh, collected over the years uh, and to fight for change within our borders this time. And so, you know, I, I took a pick up from other things I was considering uh, and, um, you know, and, and chose to sacrifice and basically to say, look, you know, I think this is worth it to serve the city. And ultimately, I think that there's a way I can do things 
uh, for others, and so many folks here are hurting, uh, then that would be incredibly meaningful to me. Hey, hey Jordan, um, you know, I think one thing that we noticed that you, you have, and even the other guests in our show, is that, you know, you have this level of impact, or at least the spirit of impact, the spirit of giving back, and the spirit of risk-taking as well, right, which we at least think about as elements of the startup mindset that we, we keep on advocating. Um, tell us about the time, you know, when you were in the moment, you know, and maybe in your younger years or whatnot, that you realized that, you know, that, that you had that, right, these type of elements. Because, you know, one thing that we've noticed is that, um, you know, folks like you, right, there is, there is some of these, you know, background, some of these influences that then made you think this way or at least act this way um, versus others where, I mean, it doesn't mean or bad anything where, you know, they, they're okay with the status quo and that's it, right? Um, but you, you seem to be a person that regardless of where you are, you know, either in arm, 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 armed forces or in the private sector and now in the public sector, you have this knack for change. Where did this come from? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great point, Earl. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I think that's the interesting argument of, you know, are you born with it or is this something that you're nurtured by uh, your environment and the people in your surrounding? And I would say it's a little bit mixed of both, right? I, I, I talked about kind of, you know, how my family came to the States uh, and, you know, we came with uh, basically nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess the best thing is the way I can shed maybe some light into that is just kind of maybe two quick personal anecdotes and, and yeah. the tipping point for me when I joined the city this time, you know, um, the first was, you know, as I mentioned, look, you know, I was staring at the city uh, and, and the States from an outside perspective of being still deployed. Right. And I saw what COVID wreaked havoc around the world and here in the United States, especially on our frontline healthcare workers that I was building apps for uh, back at Siemens. Um, the second was the systemic racism that hit a boiling point in our country. And the third is the economic recession. And, you know, I survived the financial crisis uh, before. And so this was all very near and dear to me. Um, you know, it's when you think of businesses uh, and populations of color uh, and of immigrant backgrounds, you know, a lot of them run micro businesses, right? And my family did the same. Um, and I remember, at, you know, I was 12, 13, just, working as trying to be the best waiter or bus boy I possibly could be. You know, I remember freshman year of high school, I would transfer buses going from school to work um, mm -hmm. to be able to, and then work until 10 or 11 PM because, Hey, the dishwasher left or the fryer quit, you know, suddenly. And it's up to me to step in um, as, as the oldest uh, in my family. Um, and so that taught me a little bit, you know, that shaped my perspective um, on the pain that folks feel, especially when you sit there and sometimes the restaurant's empty. And there's no more pain, no bigger pain than being a small business owner and watching, watching the tables be empty. And so I got the pain for, for a lot of the folks that felt here in San Jose. The second is, you know, when I talk about racism, look, it's real. You know, I face it. I think so, <laughs> a lot of people who are of color have, right, in work and school and social environments. I've been called the C word, the, you know, the G word for Asian or, uh, you know, Chinese descent derogatory terms countless times in my life, countless uh, and I've been told in professional settings that Asian people don't belong in certain jobs. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, and actually it's funny enough, even in the military, 
uh, people sometimes ask me, oh, are you with the U.S. military or not? You know, or, or, or with another <laughs> with another country, you know, <laughs> it just boggles my mind. Or they're like, hey, your accent is very good. Um, look, these things are so real and so many people are hurting. And I think when I found myself unable to fall asleep thinking about how much pain Americans are going through right now, that was a wake-up call for me. And it was a similar wake-up call back in the financial crisis when I decided to take a step away from, you know, I did my year, my, I, you know, I, I kissed the ring, if you will, I did my year on, on the street as an analyst at an investment bank and ultimately said, look, you know, now I need to do something different with my life. Um, and so 10 years later, I, I more or less made the same decision that sleepless nights and, and that call to action was just, it was just boiling. You know, you couldn't fall asleep. Yeah, man, I think you touched on a really fun and interesting point. Um, you know, me, I've worked as a VC analyst and I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs and um, just living in San Francisco uh, for like the past 20 years. Um, there's that feeling that they can't fall asleep. And, you know, you think about somebody like Elon Musk, who probably <laughs> is that founder who doesn't sleep, right? <laughs> um, and, I, and, you know, as we're writing this book, I think it's uh, something that I've been trying to figure out is what makes somebody the doer versus the thinker or like the, the guy who just has the great idea, but somebody who can make it happen. And you brought up that point of born uh, versus nurtured. And um, I just, I've, I've always like as an English major thought about the concept of destiny versus hard work, getting you to somewhere you want to be. And uh, for me, I think it's always a, it's a opinion thing, but yeah, there is some facts that you can, dig up within the born versus nurtured and like why somebody becomes what they uh, aspire to become or, you know, uh, becomes uh, the guy to do the thing. And uh, we were also thinking about that, like in environments and, you know, when you look at your environment working in the army, like, was that a very stressful job? Like, you know, people's lives are on the line, but I mean, how did you balance that? I guess just personally, if, if you have something to say there. Yeah. You know, it's, the, the stress is always there. You know, when I was 22, I was platoon leader, um, you know, in charge of, you know, 40 uh, men. And, and actually, we were integrating women at the time, too, uh, in, in, in terms of various roles. Um, and it was an interesting time, you know, but you had 40 individuals looking to you for guidance, leadership, and even mentorship. You know? uh, and I was arguably the second or third youngest out of those 40. Um, so I learned very quickly the importance of systems, of processes, and of providing guidance and vision. Um, and, and the beauty of, I think, the American culture and the American way of doing things is this notion that people are, in fact, very, actually very entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial, however you want to define it, right? They, they take initiative. And that is very unique about our culture overall and something that, you know, we don't have so many regimented processes where this is how you become X, Y, and Z sometimes. And so um, that part, I, you know, I, I very much so tap that energy, you know, and my platoon is actually significantly of color. Um, and so we had a very unique culture in of itself <laughs> and, uh, and, and balancing that uh, with more of a, 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 an all a more so Caucasian battalion that we were nested as, as part of, um, you know, it was, it was very interesting, you know, coming back from Afghanistan, you know, my first night there, you know, we had a rocket attack, you know, and, and, but that wasn't the thing in the end that, you know, still kept me up, you know, it was this innate feel of the world is hurting, 
and, and, and understanding that pain having come from similar worlds there. And, and I look, San Jose is a unique place where uh, I believe if we can do it here in San Jose with the, all the diversity that we have, with the tech companies in our backyard, uh, and with the unique you know, um, income disparity that exists, um, I believe we can really take this model and, 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 and provide support to other cities to similarly take a look at whether it's the integration of technology, especially with the integration of technology. Yeah, man. I, you know, me, I think growing up and reflecting on my own like story living in San Francisco, I mean, growing up here in like the early 2000s and 2010s, it wasn't always tech, um, sort of the tech uh, capital of the world, right? But seeing how tech has uh, just uh, grown and, you know, working, having worked in the VC industry, seeing how uh, that, uh, uh, you know, I was like, well, is this going to stop? Like, and, you know, analyzing years of history is, is uh, the innovation ever just going to take a break, right? Um, but it doesn't seem that way. It seems like every two years there's a big change within our lives due to technology, like due, due to the iPhone, due to, um, I don't know, smart, smart home devices. Do you think that, uh, this is a fun question because I always have debates about this. It's, uh, do you think that tech to- technology does more good than harm? Because there is some like pushback or some negative aspects, right? Somebody just wrote a book about the the negative uh, side effects of using social media all day, like <laughs> TikTok or like Instagram. What do you feel is your or what's your opinion on like the good of tech versus the bad of tech? Yeah, I, I think I think we're actually in a very good of tech phase in our lives. You know, I think mm-hmm. there is a traditional uh, <laughs> uh, uh, move fast and break things you know, and, and scale, 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 right? And part of that, look, if you're talking to venture-backed companies, they have enormous pressures from VCs to, to hit those milestones. And, <laughs> um, but when we take a look at the broader landscape, look, I think people realize the need for a healthy balance. Um, as much as, look, we know if there is clinical evidence for digital therapeutics and these companies have gone public, you know, there's equally argument for digital harm, right? And um, and I've had the fortune when I was at grad school at Yale, you know, during one of our design classes that uh, as an elective, you know, someone from a very renowned big tech company um, that was head of their design said, look, you know, design can be weaponized. Uh, and so when you look at information warfare, uh, when you look at cyber and specifically social en- socially engineered attacks, um, you know, the, the possibilities are on both sides you know, uh, of good and bad, right? And so it's, it's drawing a balance. It's having a framework to approach these things. Um, and it's, and it's, and, and rather than just saying yes or no, good or bad, let's understand it from, you know, let's deduce it, let's understand it. And then let's then draw our conclusions after also building consensus, which is a very unique thing in tech. And you know, as you think about the emergence of blockchain and, you know, I'm not a big blockchain uh, nerd or expert in any sort of way, but I really believe that there is something beautiful about this philosophy of decentralized networks um, and the power of these networks. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's something to be said about inclusion and equity that is, has emerged over the last few years and will only continue to emerge and, and, and blossom in, in tech and in terms of even the products. Look, you've got like in healthcare, like in digital health, you've got folks that are focusing on LGBTQ problems and related to systemic health issues and raising venture money, you know, like would that have been the case 10 years ago? 
Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I guess Jordan. Before we go to uh, our, our last segment, which is more of uh, of of, uh, of you know, our, our standard questions and, and startup mindsets, um, maybe for this portion, what would you say to someone on the fence um, to go to public service versus staying uh, in the private sector or let's say doing a startup? Um, because this is, I mean, to be honest, a lot of people think about it, a lot of people talk about it, but very few people do it, right? So what's your advice to these folks who kind of have a little bit of that desire in their heart, but they just can't seem to mentally go there, or maybe they're just, to be honest, a lot of them are family pressure not to do it, right? Yeah, I think that's interesting because, you know, I, I, I joined the military when under the you know when the Bush administration was around, that was a very unpopular decision, especially amongst private institutions, yeah, edu- academic institutions, uh, as well as in New York City uh, to a certain degree. Um, look, you know, folks have approached me like, "Hey, should I? I've always wanted a list, or I've always wanted to do this or do that." Look, in, in the end, it's it do make the decision that's best for you, right? You only you know yourself best. You know your responsibilities in life, and so take a look at it from a perspective of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like what does this decision, where are you along that Maslow's pyramid in terms of what your current needs are, your potential future needs are, what are the probabilities of, you know, in terms of risks <laughs> of, of losing that, that current, um, uh, you know, step that you are in uh, and how does that decision impact that? Look, if you have, you know, if you find outsized gains in that decision, then go for it. You know, or if you have the luxury to say, look, I'm comfortable enough where I can take pay cuts or I can manage, you know, if I'm a younger person, I can manage my spend, you know, and not live the Graham life or TikTok life, you know, and, and, and then by all means do it, you know, but if, if you can't marry condo it, you know, if you're young and don't have a lot of money um, to, to take on public service, then, you know, pursue something more lucrative and come back to it later uh, or do something on the side, right? Uh, and I actually always believe people should have three hustles. Yeah. You know, you always got to have like three projects going on, nice. you know, and three pots on the burner. So <laughs> make it one of your third pots or second pots, you know, it doesn't have to be your primary. Um, that's, that's amazing, man. Uh, uh, love that three pots on the burner. Um, that's, that's just a great way to visualize everything. But one more, one or two more questions for me, at least, you know, thinking futuristically with you know realizing how much the world has changed in the last decade or even you know this year right with corona virus and uh the election what what do you think the future looks like in 20 years in san jose or the bay area is it more like because you know what i'm seeing is nobody wants to ride transportation you might need to wear a mask um for an um an unca- like a no no one knows when we're not when this is going to be fixed, right? Like, um, maybe what's your perspective on, okay, I guess there's two questions. So what's your perspective on the whole pandemic situation and can innovation lead us out of there? Or I guess that's the first question. And I'll ask the second question after, after that one. Yeah. So I think innovation, having an innovative mindset will definitely help. Um, you have to balance between consensus driven versus crisis response action. Right. And, You've seen folks, let's say the governor of Rhode Island, right? Just fantastic ways of just leveraging all the powers of the governor's office to get it under control. Same thing, obviously, if you look out a side of our borders like New Zealand, right? Um, you need, I think out of this, uh, we, while without sacrificing equity and inclusion, 
we need to find a way to have a playbook uh, that brings in, you know, the, the, the necessary stakeholders and that we have a way to quickly follow and stand up something very quickly uh, to respond to future crises. Look, the world of crisis is not going to go away. Right? Commercial real estate, you take a look at that. There's probably going to be a huge bust there with thinking about the average cap structure of 80% leverage <laughs> in most commercial real estate deals. And with random amend and rolling that, it can only roll so far before it, you know, folks can't service their debt. And next thing you know, things are going under, right? I mean, just, I'm just looking out there in terms of what the next big thing is going to be that's going to feel, feel a lot of pain. So. Um, and then the next question here is what, what do you think the future looks like? I mean, not to bring it back to the future, right? But whenever anyone tries to hypothesize what the world is like in 20 years, nobody really gets it correct, but you, you know, playing a role within that, I guess, uh, outcome, what do you want? For the future in like 10 years or just in general right maybe no no years but no, no uh timeline but what what do you, what do you want um out of like government future like tech future like do you see the city of san jose being you know the city where there's driverless cars and there's like drones and there's like just all these cool futuristic stuff um or is it like i don't know just what you've touched on um earlier earlier in uh, the podcast where it's uh more people have internet access. There's more equity and inclusion for people of color. Um, I know I asked a loaded question there, but just you know, feel free to chime in where, wherever you got some something. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Earl. I see you. Uh, did you want to add in there real quick? No, I no, no. I mean, I was supposed to say that uh, you know, if there is an institution that that looks long term, it's probably the government. So I'm curious, actually, what your answer is because. You know, private sector sometimes get measured, I mean, especially if you're public, in a quarterly basis, maybe annual if you're more progressive institutional investors. Venture capital maybe can stretch to a maximum of five to seven years before they start pressuring entrepreneurs. But government seems to be more, at least that's where I lean towards really having these conversations, which is actual and not just for, you know, uh, motherhood statements, right? So... Uh, I'm curious on what you say with this because, uh, I mean, you know, if there's one person who could probably comment on this that could actually happen, it could be you. No, thank you. That's it's a great question. Uh, I, I don't think it's loaded. Um, I, I, I would say this, right? Um, yeah, it's funny how you mentioned that because, you know, we saw a few days Elon Musk, you know, tweeting that his, you know, Tesla almost ran out of money. It would have gone bankrupt in a month from the, the, the model three. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it's month by month. It's not even quarterly gains. Um, yeah, you know, it's so we just had our smart cities committee yesterday, and and the question was posed on you know where do we see ourselves even in twenty twenty three, right? Um, I think from an innovation and tech standpoint, it's just to be responsive. Right. There's a lot of things low-hanging fruit that technology can do to improve the overall city experience. I'm not talking about like consumer-grade experiences by any means in terms of the digital touch points with, with our residents. But if we can get to some level of enterprise-grade experiences in terms of you know, uptime, right? in terms of uh, streamlined workflows, I think that would be fantastic. Right? And so I would challenge that. And that's honestly purely mostly a software play. Um, the as we think a little bit further, you know, I, I hate using actually the term smart cities. I, I, I like, I used, I used to use the term city of the future, but then I realized, you know, folks were talking about like, you know, Tokyo 
what does Tokyo look like in 2050, you know, with flying cars and MR ads and, you know, super immersive, you know, <laughs> virtual environment. Um, I think that's all nice and dandy, but uh, city of the near future to me, honestly, is software-led. It's software-driven. I think software eats world and software eats government in such a unique way, powerful way. Um, I would love to see elected officials leveraging dashboards, uh, having real-time analytics that are also predictive uh, in driving their policy decisions. I would like to see city operators uh, similarly uh, have very transparent and rigorous reporting metrics uh, that they can work off of, similar to a lot of what we see in industry already. And so what I saw the shift in hospital settings, especially acute settings and hospital C-suites, um, I would love to see similarly you know, come into play with uh, city, uh, the city administration and an elected official side. Well, that's pretty, pretty good. Um, so it's Jordan, we, we end uh, every podcast with three standard questions and we'd love to get your thoughts on this. So I'll, I'll hit it, hit it three in a row and then you can answer, you know, best, the best you can. The first one is if you had to summarize your own personal startup mindset in one or two sentences, what would that be? The second question is what's your advice to your 20 year old self in order to grow your own personal startup mindset? And then the last one, uh, that's Dan's favorite question, which is if you had to reference one or two books for the listeners or, or resources for the listeners to grow their own startup mindsets, what would that be? So again, maybe start with the first one, which is in one or two sentences, if you had to summarize your own personal mindset, your startup mindset, you know, what would you tell our audience? Yeah, you know, my startup mindset is... Um, uh, where there is a will, there is a way, uh, and then go big or go home. You know, uh, I think where there's a will, there's a way. It gives you the perseverance to believe in yourself when others don't. Um, you know, you might be facing systemic pressures, uh, but if you believe in your ones rooting for you, uh, even if it's just you. Um, and then go big or go home is, you know, picking the right fights, right? Like some fights just aren't worth picking. Um, and so being very conscientious of what you gain uh, for this issue that you fight for uh, is really important. And if you are, in fact, the right person to fight for that. Cool. And then uh, uh, the last question before I hand it over to Dan to ask uh, the question and summarize. But, um, you know, this is a, f a favorite question, actually, by all of our, um, uh, you know, podcast guests. Um, what's your advice to your, you know, 20-year-old self yeah. you know, knowing your own, you know, career, uh, so that they discover their mindset that you just spoke about. Yeah, it's, uh, I would say, uh, you know, be kinder to yourself. If I were to talk to myself when I was 20, you know, I, I was able to navigate several toxic and challenging moments growing up. Uh, I had to shoulder a lot of adult responsibilities at times. And I was very hard on myself all the time. And I had to set my own path and like so many other people have, you know, and, and, you know, part of growing up, the culture was always, you're taught to eat bitterness is a natural rite of passage to yeah. success. Right. And so uh, when I think back when I was 20, uh, you know, I, I worked two to three jobs, including fulfilling um, my Fulbright scholarship in New York and in the city, you know, coupled with like a 24, 26 credit load uh, for that sem first semester, because NYU at the time didn't recognize my ROTC coursework because of the anti-military sentiment. Um, and so, yeah, actually, yeah, funny, I had, I had a, a professor, marketing professor, who would never call on me 
when I was in uniform. And I had no other choice to be in uniform sometimes because I would just come from uptown to, to downtown in order to fulfill my military obligations in the morning and make it to my 8 a.m. class uh, because of the disjointed structure. So sometimes you know, I just realize, you know, you just need to go a bit easy on yourself, be kinder to yourself, be more forgiving sometimes. And, and also, you know, speak up and confront things like discrimination, um, especially against people of color or, or, or for things that are kind of sometimes outside of your control, you know, and, and, and I think that is also a form of being kinder to yourself. Yeah, man, I love uh, love that. I mean, I'm taking. I'm gonna try to apply that advice right now. <laughs> I'm 25, but uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like the the answer works for anybody at any age, right? So, uh, I guess the last question is: Have you read any books lately that you'd recommend, or I don't know, do you have a favorite book that you think that um, just um, encapsulates your uh, your your yourself? It could be fiction, could be anything really, or an author, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so the current book that I'm reading is is The Square and the Tower uh, by uh, Neil Ferguson. Um, and it's basically arguing that, you know, networks have always been with us. Most of history is hierarchical in terms of the networks when you think about empires and even armies and corporations. Um, but it's the, you know, it's the informal, less well-documented social networks uh, that are very interesting, like sources of power and drivers of change. Um, so that's a recent book that I've been reading. But three books that have really, I think, kind of shaped my way of looking at things sometimes is when I was in middle school, I read a book called The World That Trade Created. Uh, it was a mandatory read. Um, but it taught it mapped, you know, global commerce and monetary systems and, how, and trade and how that changed the world and art and things like that, uh, and, and, as well as religion. Uh, the second book was obviously the, the, the Black Swan that I think a lot of folks credit. Um, and, you know, being a financial crisis baby, that, that was very yeah. near and dear to me, too. <laughs> um, and the third is The Phenomenon of Man. Um, I, I, I forgot the, uh, it, I think the author's name is Pierre Chardin, um, but he was a former Jesuit, excommunicated, um, and uh, wrote a very interesting thesis about the industrialization era and the economic gains that creates and ultimately the social progress that can create in terms of fraternal love in terms of outsized gains that we can focus on things that are more higher uh, uh, pursuits uh, that humanity can, can emphasize on versus, you know, day-to-day -day economic pursuits. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's a very beautiful sort of philosophy. It talks about systems too, and the boiling point of systems, you know, before, before folks are really talking about technology, you know, so um, those are kind of the three books I usually recommend. Yes. I'm going to have to check those out. Um, any uh, last words from you? No, it's a pleasure. Pleasure being on this podcast. Uh, uh, it's great to circle back up, Dan. Yeah. Man. Nice to meet you all. Sometime when I guess Definitely. normal, right? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, thanks for your time, Jordan. Uh, I know we, you know, we got you in, in a time where, you know, your, your knowledge and your uh, time is, is very important. So uh, thanks so much for doing this. And I'm sure our listeners much yeah thank you and, and if folks are willing to or interested in donations or supporting our digital inclusion efforts you know feel free to reach out to me on linkedin or at san jose modi that's m-o-t-i on twitter um you know mayor Licardo is doing great things we're doing great things here with the city and would love to have folks participate uh, in any sort of philanthropic capability they can that does it for another episode of Star mindsets podcast if you guys would like to uh connect with us a little bit deeper 
follow us on LinkedIn at Startup Mindsets Podcast, as well as uh, Instagram at Startup Mindsets Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode today. Uh, we got a ton of value from learning about how the innovation ecosystem works within the government. And uh, as always, be safe. If you guys have another guest you think I should talk to or a topic we should explore, just DM us on social and we'll uh, get back to you. Thanks.